This episode is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Keep your feet warm this winter with some slippers from BunnySlippers.com. They've got all kinds of cool slippers. Dinosaur sound slippers, Cthulhu slippers, USB slippers that you plug into a USB port and they keep your feet warm. They don't look like USBs. They plug into your USB. All right. Subscribe to PGTTCM with DB Spitzer. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Seraphie too, but she's upstairs cutting stuff up, getting ready for Thanksgiving. We use Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Some folks use Stitcher and Google Play. 1003, Series 10, Episode 3, Episode 110, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. The Hyborian Era of Robert E. Howard. And join us next week for... Hmm, this episode, we'll be talking about the Hyborian Age of Robert E. Howard, and join us next week for the PGTTCM Gift Guide, written, edited, and produced by D.B. Spitzer. Help the show by sharing, rating, liking, or five-star giving wherever you listen to or rate podcasts. Support the show by hitting the patron button at pgttcm.podbean.com or going to paypal.me slash pgttcm or check out the cool merch table over at pgttcm.com or pgttcm.threadless.com Remember to check out Dave's Corner of the Universe over at Dave's Corner of this podcast. Other way around, remember to listen to Dave's Corner of this podcast and check out his website over at Dave's Corner of the Universe.com. And hey, Ken Height has a podcast too. Ken Height and Ken, uh, Robin Laws talk about stuff. Um, it's, it's just called Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. And you can find it anywhere you find good podcasts, such as PGTTCM. And don't forget to check out Zach Ferguson and Articulate Warbling. And you can find a link for that at PGTTCM.com or Go to iTunes and look for Articulate Warbling. The Chamber and Ghost by Kevin MacLeod. Thank you. Let's begin. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Alright, here we are back with People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And again, we have Ken Height to talk about the Hyborian Age and Conan and stuff like that. Ken, how's it going? Uh, pretty great. Thanks nice. for having me on. Yeah, of again. course. Of, of, of course. Always happy to come on. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about the Hyborian Age and uh, Conan. I, I don't know if I can say anything else or if I'll get sued. But... Right. Well, yeah, you may be sued just for putting the title of this in your thing. So good luck with that, man. All right. The, 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 the Swedes of Conan are a, are a dotty trademarky lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the Hyborian Age. Um, what about it? Uh, what do we need to know? What do you need to know? Well, okay. What does I... anyone need to know? <laughs> we know that What's the... Conan, uh, Conan the Barbarian is kind of would i be misinformed to say that the hyborian age is kind of built around conan and based off of his adventures and kind of filled in later by other people i think that you would be absolutely on the beam to say that that um i don't even think robert e howard necessarily uh, knew what he was getting into when he started writing about conan 
probably wrote the essay that we all know as the Hyborian Age um, once he realized he had a series mm -hmm. and wanted to make sure not to contradict himself. And because he um, uh, 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 was a born uh, exciting writer, the essay seems, I think, more fun than most people's um, uh, backstory notes for their book. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he's basically he's got his new character Conan, who, as we've I think talked about before, is a uh, less thinky cull. Yeah. <laughs> and. So he has sexier adventures and uh, more of them than Cull because uh, Howard wants to sell uh, stories. And the uh, world of Conan, rather than the almost completely imaginary world of Cull, is, I think, more closely tied. And this is both, I think, because Howard wanted to be able to steal plots uh, more easily from historical fiction mm -hmm. or history. And also because I think Howard recognized that people would respond to it more if they recognized more of the stuff around him. Okay. Um, tried to sort of fall between the stools, do a compromise between a pure fantasy or theosophical world mm -hmm. and a historical world. He'd he was writing historical fiction at the same time. Some of it was selling, some of it wasn't selling. But uh, to have the sort of big stories that he wanted to tell about Conan where he overthrows kingdoms you can't really tell those stories about some American who's wandering around China yeah because people would say I don't think you ever overthrew a kingdom sir because <laughs> I would have read about it <laughs> and you can't even really do it with people like Solomon Kane who have to have their adventures off the side of the map in darkest Africa yeah. where no one knows whether he overthrew a kingdom because we don't have any records or we certainly didn't in 19. 36 or whenever he was writing Solomon Kane. So for Conan to work, it has to be a recognizably sort of pseudo historical universe. And that's where you get fun names uh, like Aquilonia, which is sort of similar to Aquitaine in France. Um, uh, and the name actually comes from a city in Italy, but the um, uh, sort of blend of that uh, creates a medieval-seeming kingdom that he could then also uh, put a frontier on because he wanted to tell Western stories uh, in a market that he'd already sold into rather than selling into Western stories. Okay. So that's why Aquilonia, for example, has a frontier with the Picts is so that he can do a really cool Western. And uh, he just has a cool Western with Conan in it. That's all. Um, and so... He begins with Cimmeria, the uh, mysterious land that Conan comes from, the sort of icy uh, land of the, of the Cimmerians. Um, and he, in his head, thinks Cimmeria is like Cimri, which is, or Kimri, which is what the Welsh are. But actual Cimmeria is the southern Ukraine. It's, it's where the uh, historical Cimmerians live. And so he takes the historical Cimmerians, he makes them sort of look like uh, black Irish or fighting Welsh, which is what he imagined himself to be. And there we are. Conan is a Welshman from the Ukraine, except it's Viking times. And so <laughs> uh, that's the... Um, uh, and, and then uh, Robert E. Howard being a big believer in the Aryan myth, that there was a, a one proto-Nordic uh, uh, race that came down and conquered Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, he can make his Sumerians those guys. And he, he basically says so in his essay. So they have all of the virtues 
that Robert E. Howard would associate with these Aryan conqueror folk. And so uh, when Conan goes and fights some uh, foreigner in some land named not after a European country, like say uh, uh, Stygia, which is uh, named, uh, which is set in Egypt and mm -hmm. is full of dark people, uh, or Shem, which of course is from the Bible. It's the son of Noah that uh, gave his name to the Semitic uh, peoples. Um, so when Conan fights them, it's like a little bit of white supremacy just for everybody to enjoy. Um, but it's not so on the nose that people at the time would have to be slapped by it. So Howard is tempering his own sort of beliefs about uh, innate superiorities of cultures and races and putting them in sort of an anodyne form that uh, people in the 1930s could swallow without buying into a whole, you know, Ku Klux Klan project. Um, and, and so the, the presence of Conan uh, as better at fighting and um, uh, worse at conspiring than everyone around him becomes a sort of a racial statement, but it's one that, because it's often this sort of pseudo-mythological world, he can make, I think, uh, more freely and uh, enthusiastically than he could if it had just been a straight-up story about a, a Norwegian who goes and he um, uh, fights a bunch of Egyptians. Huh, I hadn't thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's it's an inescapable part of the setting. And that's uh -huh. kind of, I mean, it, it, it's, to some great degree, it's, it's its power is that it draws on these sort of half-formed understandings that we all have that, well, of course the Egyptians were cool, but they did get conquered and they had black magic because of all the mummies. And everyone, I think, thinks this. And then hopefully you learn better as you uh, read literally anything about Egypt. But yeah. it's that sort of very basal understanding of history that we sort of inculcate from cartoons and from Conan, I guess, uh -huh. circularly now, that Conan then feeds on. And so you can't, I think, address the Hyborian Age and Conan without saying a lot of this is Robert E. Howard's sort of self-image as himself, the uh, black Irish, the finest kind of white man, fighting a bunch of less fine kinds of people. And when you see, for example, the civilization, the, the corrupt and decadent civilization of Shem, mm -hmm. and how they're all a bunch of oily tricksters, that should probably make a modern reader a little bit, you know, maybe not. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think sort of the notion that ancient Egypt, which is Stygia, uh -huh. uh, after the uh, Greek river Styx, the river of hell, um, so he conflates the Nile with the river of hell in a very clever bit of geography. Um, I think that the sort of cartoon Egyptian Gothic mummies curse Egypt that lives in our head uh -huh. is, is well and good. But, you know, then to say, well, the whole country is, is a country of black magicians and what can you do? Uh, that maybe steps over a line a little bit now. Um, but the stories are still amazingly powerful because they borrow that recognition of the real world that he borrowed from so that he could name things. And again, it's not a, it's not a complete uh, uh, one way or the other. I mean, he goes down to Africa and he meets, you know, Africans who are just as powerful and noble and fighty as he is. Mm -hmm. So it's not a straight up Turner Diaries type thing. Yeah. But everything is always on Conan's terms because Conan is always the central character. And that's just the way that it is. Uh, in the same way that um, uh, when Solomon Kane goes into Africa and he meets good African people and bad African people, and some of the good African people are noble and spiritual. And some of them are even really good fighters, like Solomon Kane is. But it's always through Solomon Kane's lens. Solomon Kane is always the 
the actor, the guy around whom people are 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 forming. Yeah. And so, uh, it, it, to some extent, you get that same thing when you have faultless liberals writing uh, stories about a white guy who goes to some uh, benighted part of the world and and learns them about social justice. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're just a boring Conan now. <laughs> <laughs> you're not fighting a giant serpent you're fighting the giant serpent of sexism yeah. which is a, a serpent worth fighting but it's hard to it's hard to get a punchy paragraph out of it i'll say that definitely definitely <laughs> so uh what what were the various lands uh in these stories uh, i mean there's I mean, you can you can certainly you can go online and find all of the crazy lands yeah um uh and Robert E. Howard, once he discovers he's got a series that's selling, uh -huh. sort of when he does the Hyborian Age and he draws his map in 1932 and he's um, sort of making sure that he has places to tell stories, he goes way off into areas where Conan never goes. Okay. And so Conan never, I think, visits Kitai. Uh, but Robert E. Howard's like, if I need to do a China story... Or at the very least, if I need to say where people are getting their silks and lotuses, uh -huh. I have to have a land there. And so I'm going to name it Kitai. And Kitai is the name of a, historically, a medieval kingdom that was um, uh, in northern China huh. uh, and uh, was basically destroyed by the Mongols, Kara Kitai. And so he, um, uh, he, he plucks that name out of very obscure history. Um, he's probably got a, a, a couple of good history books. I'm not the Howard expert, so I don't know mm -hmm. which which history book he, he took stuff out of or how good the cross plains library was, right. but he, 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 you know, it, it's not the, the straight up, you know, he doesn't call it, you know, the land of chin or Zin. He, he goes just a, a one level down uh, to pick his name, but I don't think Conan ever goes there. I think it's just, you hear about it, but Conan definitely goes to, um, uh, uh, uh to Aquilonia and takes it over. Um, he meets, he goes to Sham a lot because those are the sort of, uh, pinnacle of civilization in the sense that they are all the bad parts of civilization that Conan is meant to be the opponent of as a barbarian, uh, the fictive opponent. Um, and then uh, there's other sorts of areas where he has adventures to one degree or another that um, uh, are, uh, like I say, he, he goes off and he fights the Picts, which is pretty great. He goes down to um, uh, the Africa of the... Um, of the Hyborian Age, basically, or the equivalent of the Hyborian Age. So he goes down to uh, the Black Coast and uh, meets a, a pirate lady and has uh, great adventures. He, um, uh, the sort of big middle stretch between Aquilonia and uh, Stygia. Mm -hmm. So Koth, uh, which is sort of a, a quasi-Italy, I guess, and Argos, which is a quasi-Greece. Uh, th those sorts of kingdoms basically, I think, exist so that in case Conan needs to overthrow something, we've got them. Right. And then there's an ancient empire. He makes sure that there's a, a fallen empire, which is the Acheron the Empire. Um, and that's uh, and because it was the height of civilization, of course, it also has to be dark and evil. And so he names it after one of the ri uh, rivers of uh, hell in mm -hmm. Greek uh, mythology. Uh, so Acheron is, is, is fantastic uh, for that as well. And he's got all manner of other uh, little cities. And then he's, he, he really dives into Greece so you have Corinthia, you have um, Argos, like I mentioned already, Alcmenon, which is named for the um, uh, uh, the, the patriarchs of Delphi. Uh, all these various things. I think whenever it was stuck for a name, he had a, a, a Greek history book somewhere handy and uh, dived in and picked another place. 
cool. <laughs> wow. That's, 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 that's really interesting to, uh, to get an idea of uh, Robert E. Howard's world building. Yeah, there's, a, there's the, the notion, I mean, again, he does the map in 1932. Uh -huh. He's been writing Conan stories only from, uh, you know, he starts writing the Conan stories in 1931, I think. Yeah. And um, uh, so he's got his map fairly early. And then the Hyborian Age essay maybe comes as he's doing the map, in which case it would be early, or maybe it comes after two or three of the stories where he's like, I need to keep this straight. But he's banging these stories out very, very rapidly. Uh, he's not like Lovecraft that takes months and months and months of agonizing and writing letters before yeah. he gets around to banging out a, a killer. Um, Conan's stories uh, appear in, uh, uh, in Weird Tales just almost every other issue. So it's December 32, January 33, March 33, June 33, September 33, October 33, January 34, April 34, May 34. So he's just pounding these out. Uh -huh. And uh, he writes um, sort of the long ones, uh, Beyond the Black River and um, uh, Hour of the Dragon mm -hmm. and Red Nails. And as he gets more and more comfortable with the character, he he, he sort of starts stretching out the, the, the length of the thing. Um, but even those are coming basically on schedule. He is a disciplined writer, and he's writing a bunch of other things at the same time as he's writing Conan for other markets. Hmm. So um, he doesn't have, I think, just a lot of time to uh, pussyfoot around and come up with every single specific detail of the Hyborian Age. It's not the same thing as Tolkien, who, for example, made up Middle-earth long before he ever wrote any stories set there yeah. and did it basically as an excuse to make up languages. Okay. And so he starts building all the languages, then he builds all the folkways that derive from languages, then he starts figuring out where the places are. And very late in the process does he say, I, I guess I could write a story about a hobbit, and <laughs> then that becomes a thing. Yeah. But for uh, uh, Professor Tolkien, the world building was the job. And the stories sort of fell out of that. And for Howard, it's very much the other way around. The stories are the job, and the world building is... Accidental is too strong a word. But the world building is definitely secondary. Uh, in the sense that he has his map so he doesn't get lost and confused, so that everything that's north of something stays north of something. Mm -hmm. He writes down who's descended from whom, so he knows all their sort of ethnicities, so that he doesn't, in one story, describe a... Uh, a Kothite as fair, and then the next story describe him as dark, so he, he can keep it straight in his head as to who represents what. But then he doesn't really go too deep in the past. Everything is happening in and around Conan's life. There's the, the Empire of Acheron that's fallen, but that mostly just gives us immortal necromancers from Acheron or uh, glasses from Acheron. It doesn't really establish geopolitics or language. Uh, it's not like well, wherever Acheron ruled, everyone must speak some variant of Acheronian. That's not in the stories, because Co uh, Howard doesn't care, and in fairness, Conan doesn't care. So that's one of the other benefits of presenting a character who's always a wandering stranger. Mm -hmm. He can show up without knowing any backstory and just stab who needs stabbing. Um, he doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to get into the weeds of, well, this is a 300-year-old cycle and it all started back here. If you want to have that kind of story, it's just one of them is mean to Conan, 
And so he leagues up with their enemies, the other guys. And there we are. Problem solved. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so the the way that the Hyborian Age is built out is very interestingly, I think impressionistic is the, is the good word to okay. use. Because he's really is more interested in color and light and what it looks like in the backdrop or with blood on it than he is about sort of making you believe in the kingdom of Aquilonia. Like it's like, oh no, I really feel like I could, um, uh, I, I could be in... Um, uh, in uh, uh, Nemedia, uh, the the sort of Holy Roman Empire kingdom, that's mm-hmm. um, the, the sort of hated uh, uh, fat kids across the lake r- rivals of Aquilonia, um, <laughs> and it's based basically on uh, the Byzantine Empire. So it's the sort of more civilized version of Europe that Conan, of course, is opposed to, gotcha. uh, and its name, of course, because uh, Howard is nothing if not clever, um, takes. Uh, uh, them from a uh, Irish legend mm-hmm. about the people who conquered Ireland, the Nemedians, and the Nemedians in Irish legend uh, came from the east. They came from Russia, basically, or maybe uh, Byzantium area. So uh, Howard is writing in an era where the Byzantine Empire is very much seen as the ancestor of the Russian Empire, and so if you're looking for a Russian name that isn't all Russian-y, you take the Irish Russians, the Nemedians, and you say, there we are. So, um, the, the when he's when he's um, sets that up though, the Nemedians literally exist to be foils for the Aquilonians on one level and foils for Conan on a larger level. Huh. They don't exist with you know thousands of years of history or church ritual. We don't care. Yeah, uh, Conan doesn't care. Um, so you know that is left to uh, role playing game designers to care. <laughs> and uh, Lin- and there's a lot of uh, really good Conan role playing games out there. There's one from. Modiphius now there were other ones from other companies uh, before GURPS had a GURPS Conan book that I still think is one of the best one-stop shop uh, books about uh, the Hyborian uh, age and Conan and his sort of life if you are, are looking for a, a potted biography of him if you can run down a copy of GURPS Conan on eBay or wherever okay. uh, I would pick that up or any of the Conan role-playing games obviously go really deep into the um, the, the, the what's going on in the um, uh, in the Hyborian age because they have to, because they have to tell more stories. Yeah. Okay. But the, but the pure quill Howard is, it is this sort of impressionistic sketchy, uh, presentation with a little bit of real history and a little more of sloppy sort of hit, uh, highly colored history and just a scoosh, like I say, of, um, uh, ethnocentrism. Let's call it that. All right. All right. Uh, who who else? Uh, not not that I want to go into the specifics of what they added, but who else uh, a- uh, added to the uh, Conan? Who else? Who else wrote Conan? I, th- I think I, uh, Lynn Carter did at some point in time. Um, what happened with the Conan books uh-huh. is that they wound up getting um, reprinted when the, uh, ironically, when Lord of the Rings had demonstrated that there was a big market for fantasy. Uh-huh. Um, uh everyone sort of went back and said, oh, we should, uh, we should uh, publish a bunch of Conan books. And uh, they were edited by L. Sprague de Camp, who was okay. a fantasy and science fiction author um, and also a big fan of sort of the brightly colored ancient history stuff. And he has a number of very well-regarded at the time and still pretty cool books 
on ancient engineers and lost cities and things like that. So he's sort of a really good guy to, uh, if you want to extend the Hyborian Age with filler, it's pretty good filler. Okay. But the trouble is, Sprague de Camp, and I like him well enough as a writer, but it's very much heroin and methadone. Um, okay. Sprague de Camp <laughs> and uh, Lynn Carter basically begin to expand it because when they're publishing these books, they're editing these books, first for Gnome Press, then for Lancer and Ace. Uh, there's not enough property Howard at the time. It just doesn't happen. And so um, there's fragments that he hadn't finished in his lifetime. There's stories that he didn't uh, get around to publishing. Um, and there's, uh, or they got rejected. And there's stories that um, uh, are sort of mentioned in passing where Conan would say, well, last time I was here, these people weren't nearly as friendly or whatever. And so that would be the sort of, uh, like the bits in Sherlock Holmes where uh, Watson says, someday I will tell you the story of the trained cormorant. But yeah. this is not that day. And you're like, damn you, Watson, <laughs> slash Doyle. And so those little throw-offs make a character seem like they have a past, so obviously Howard uses them. So L. Sprague de Camp and then Lynn Carter go in, and Lynn Carter, if um, Sprague de Camp is methadone, Lynn Carter is a bottle of, a plastic bottle of vodka. Um, <laughs> go in and add more stuff. And so they go to the Conan uh, fragments, and they bulk them out, and they go to other... Robert E. Howard stories told about other Robert E. Howard protagonists and make the, I think, perhaps unfair argument that all Robert E. Pro Howard protagonists are basically the same guy. Mm -hmm. And so they recast them. And so there's Turlow O'Brien stories that have become Conan stories or Steve Costigan stories that have become Conan stories mm -hmm. or El Borak stories that have become Conan stories. And all of these great Howardian um, uh, uh, characters get sort of planed off and refit, retrofitted as Conan stories by L. Sprague de Camp and Lynn Carter. And I think in the same way that August Derleth gets a lot of pummeling mm -hmm. uh, uh, for putting uh, Lovecraft's name on his posthumous collaborations, yeah. Sprague de Camp and Carter get an equal amount of pummeling. And I think in their case, it's more deserved because the fact that they're editing paperback reprints of Conan indicates that you don't actually need to uh, keep his name alive. Yeah. Robert E. Howard is selling books. You are now actually the Remora fish sucking onto the back of Robert E. Howard that people accused Derleth of being with Lovecraft. And um, uh, and I I read the Lancer paperbacks all the way through uh -huh. uh, as a kid, and I loved, loved, loved them. And I do not remember, if I, I wish I did, I don't remember liking any of them better than other ones. I just, everything Conan was great. If he had a Frank Frazetta lady hanging around and he was fighting a snake, I was a happy boy. Yep. And and, <laughs> um, and then much, much later, uh, I think it was Gollants in Britain, and I forget who in America, Ballantyne maybe, or Del Rey, came out with the um, uh, the original Robert E. Howard manuscripts with all the, uh, all the DeCamp and Carter just peeled off. Uh-huh. And I remember rereading them and even rereading the ones that were intact at the time and thinking, well, this is actually better. This, I, I was reading substandard Conan. And again, I guess I was a kid. Who knew? I mean, I obviously didn't care at the time, but that could really have, that, that could really have done some damage. I think in the way that the Durleth collaborations with Lovecraft don't even do. Yeah. Because uh, part of it is just that Durleth was such a comically 
worse past to sure than the camp was that you could tell more easily why is this Lovecraft story really terrible mm-hmm. and these ones are really great oh I see it's August Derlet. Um and then with DeCamp though he's just good enough and has just enough of the sort of substrate of Howard to back him up mm-hmm. that his Howard pastiches just seem like maybe Robert E. Howard was having an off day okay they're, they're not immediately you know throw it against the, the across the room uh, like the shuttered room is or something yeah or the Dark brotherhood um it's uh it's just not that or the shadow out of space i could go on yeah um but the, uh but the uh the howard stories are so raw and in the way that i was mentioning at the top of the segment um they're raw in other ways as well because you are never left wondering what robert e howard thinks about the people conan is stabbing yeah <laughs> it is not like well, he was just another guy who died as he lived. Um, it was, well, he was an oily representative of civilization and banking in some way. <laughs> and so the, the, the pure Howard stories, and I suspect DeCamp maybe took some of that element out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the pure Howard stories are better stories. They are better prose. They are better fiction. They are more of their time uh, than the DeCamp and Car- uh, Carter editions. All right. So I would say... You know, I don't think that Conan is such a vital piece of literature. I don't think it's as important even to fantasy as Lovecraft is to horror. All right. So if you wanted to be a informed fantasy fan, I don't say you have to read Robert E. Howard. But I think that if you do read Robert E. Howard, read it with a guide rail, but know that you are you need that guide rail because you are out over some dizzyingly amazing stuff. Right, that it will draw you in, oh, and yeah. you will be nodding along with Conan as he chops his way through a feat civilization. And that is the real mark, I guess, of, of a literary character: is do you do you want to look through their eyes? Do you are are you looking through their eyes involuntarily as you, as you read their adventures or their or their stories? And to that level, Conan succeeds in a way that no uh, Howard, uh, no Lovecraft protagonist. Uh, almost does, except Charles Dexter Ward a little bit. And again, we don't see him as the central character in his own story. Whereas Conan (laughs) is always the central character. Yep. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Well, Ken, what else? Is there anything else that you think people should know about Conan the Barbarian? Um, Well, he stops being a barbarian at some point. (laughs) He starts being king of Aquilonia. He's Conan the king. Yeah. Um, but he's very like Cull, uh, his 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 grand his literary father. Uh, he doesn't like being king. He prefers barbarianing, and so uh, the the crown weighs heavy on his head. Uh, he uh, um, he has a uh, real. Uh, I, 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 the interesting thing about Conan is that his character tension never comes from where you would think it should come from. Yeah. Like with many characters, Conan would, you know, not Conan would show up in a town and it'd be like, well, I can save this lady or I can get in good with this high priest and get some sweet money. Conan is never interested in anything you think he should be interested in. He shows up in town. He's just spoiling for a fight. He's like Billy the Kid or somebody. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't have a... Uh, conflicted bone in him. The 
conflict that's in Conan is the question of sort of if I believe in barbarism, if I believe civilization is doomed and destined to fall and probably should fall, given that it's full of necromancers, what am I doing? Why am I accomplishing anything? Why am I saving that lady if I believe in barbarism so much? Why am I killing that necromancer? Isn't that necromancer just going to bring about the fall of civilization faster? And so over time, Conan becomes like a civilizational question. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we bothering? Why do we do anything? Why do we build a railroad if it's going to rust and fall apart? Why do we write stories if no one's going to read them? Why do we do anything if eventually mankind will just shrug and destroy it? Um, and, and so Conan's real conflict doesn't come within Conan, although there's the, oh, I don't want to be king. It comes between what Conan does and believes and what Conan represents. And so as you follow the adventures of Conan, you're sort of seeing Conan call into question Conan's ideology by his action. And it's that sort of fated quality about Conan that I think a lot of people respond to. Hmm. Um, and that people don't really get if what they want to do is just uh, rescue Frazetta ladies and fight snakes. <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with either of those things, but Conan as a body of work almost means something different and conveys something different because of what he is doing. And you see that almost come to the surface in Beyond the Black River, which is the mm -hmm. Western, yeah. where Conan is fighting legitimate barbarians, the Picts. Yep. And he's very much like Hawkeye, in uh, not Avengers Hawkeye, James Fennermore, Super Hawkeye. And he's very much, why am I on the side of Aquilonia when everything in me should be on the side of the Picts? And he has to answer those questions sort of by doing, because he's Conan, he doesn't answer them by philosophy. He's not Hegel the Barbarian. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something like Beyond the Black River. And then uh, uh, Red Nails, where it's sort of a cartoon of the fall of civilization. And Conan is weirdly enough, the figure of order in the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so once you start seeing those stories, and which come mostly at the tail end of Robert E. Howard's uh, career and life, as it turned out, um, you, uh, you, you sort of wonder um, to what extent is Howard doing it on purpose and to what extent is it an emergent thing that Howard doesn't know he's doing, Yeah, I guess. Okay. And I don't think you can read Beyond the Black River without realizing that Howard was asking himself the same questions, which is, of course, the, the central question of the Western is I'm becoming a barbarian, but I'm doing it to defend civilization. Why am I doing it then? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the internal question of the Western. Um, Howard is, is from Texas. He grew up on Westerns. He grew up on Texas cowboy stories. He wrote Westerns. He knows what he's doing. So in some way, as Conan continues, he stops just being a fantasy hero and it starts being a Western. And it's explicitly that in Beyond the Black River. But I think if you look at the whole arc of it, he is that sort of, you know, that uh, that that uh, that ambivalent Western hero in a way that, and maybe in almost every individual story, the beautiful thing about Conan is he's not ambivalent. And you literally can follow Conan into a city and know that everyone who gets stabbed had it coming and that there were giant snakes that needed killing and... That is just literally all you need is to be there in the moment in that welter 
of sensation with with uh, Robert E. Howard and Conan the Barbarian. Wow! Thank you again so much, Ken. That that was so informative. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. That was... well, I don't know how informative it is, but that's sort of my understanding of of, of how it looks and and how it should should feel yeah no 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 thank you again for coming and talking to us about uh conan and where he's from and all that fun stuff this is this is like why you should come to the hp lovecraft film festival so you can listen to ken talk about this kind of stuff and why you should listen to ken and robin talk about stuff uh weekly podcast hosted by ken height and robin d laws all right thanks, thanks again, so much ken. yeah no thank you all right, man. Have a good one. You as well. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I hope you all have had a awesome Thanksgiving. Those of you in America, those of you in Canada already had your Thanksgiving. New Zealand, Australia, everywhere else, France, Germany, Switzerland, uh, Chile, ev- everyone else that listens to me, wherever you're at. I hope you're having a good day and that, you know, this helps your day in some way. Ooh, excuse me, gives you good ideas or uh, informs you a bit more about a barbarian or the place that he's from. All right. Thank you so much. And remember, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is part of PGTTCM.com. It's where the name comes from. And you can find more podcasts like Upcoming Project from David Heath, Articulate Warbling, and Black Clock Audio Tales, our daily podcast where we just finished up some Beowulf we're going to be doing Jack London stories, uh, Sea Wolf, Call of the Wild, The Iron Heel. Uh, the Iron Heel is a socialist, uh, dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic kind of thing that Jack London wrote, like, when Jack London was writing stuff. Anyway, uh, hey, uh, did you know that it's your job to <clears throat> uh, keep it squiggly and to stay weird yeah yeah that's 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 for you to do all right you can contact us at pgttcm.com you can find us on facebook you can find us on instagram look for black clock audio tales pgttcm and uh yeah that's how how you'll get in touch with us all right have a good one and blah